All right, guys, what is up? We're back for the 52nd installment for the Playing the Win series. I'm joined today uh, with retired Navy SEAL Rich Graham from Full Spectrum Warrior. How's it going, bro? It's going awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, let's do, um, I mean, like we were chopping it up for about 15 minutes here before mm -hmm. we started, and I kind of want to do a little bit of an intro because I like to um, really get in with, uh, you know, dudes that I'm, that I'm super familiar with. There's always somebody that says, hey, you know, bring in so-and-so and so-and-so, but it's like, there's so many guys out there that I know that I'd like to introduce my audience to that I think have a lot of interesting things to say. And because the playlist is built under the notion of playing to win rather than playing not to lose, which is how most people live life in society today, I thought Rich would be a great uh, guy to have on for conversation. So we should be able to do this in about 60 to 90 minutes. We got lots of great uh, you know, points to talk about today. Uh, before we get started, let me just grab the link here to the YouTube channel. So if you're watching this somewhere else live, uh, come over to, uh, I'll just put WT over there or YT. Just hit that link if you're on Twitter or uh, Facebook or Twitch or whatever and just join us over on YouTube. It helps me out with the algorithms and hit the like button when you come on over and join us. So um, a little bit of a backstory. I met Rich and I posted this on my Instagram a few days ago before I created the event, but I met him kind of by accident. Um, I, I was heading down to Florida and I just mentioned, you know, maybe randomly on, on social media somewhere where I was going and then I get this DM from a random guy named Trevor and he says, hey man, um, you know, you're going to be down in the area. Why don't you come over to my uh, buddy's ranch? He's a retired Navy SEAL. We'll send some lead down range. Uh, you know, we'd love to meet you. You know, we've seen your material. Um, I think there was some trauma or, or chaos going in somebody's life somewhere around women or something, of course. And, you know, long story short, you know, I, I just came down. I was like, you know, these total strangers, with a lot of guns and badass dogs that could probably murder you real quick were the nicest guys, you know, I've ever met. And it's like, you know, um, shot a bunch of guns, went down to this range. Like you've got what? It's about a thousand yards or a thousand meters. It's a big range for like the cycle. Yeah, the longest shot we currently have, we're working on making it longer, but currently it's 850 yards. 800, yeah. And that's a lot harder to like, you know, you <laughs> yeah. see these guys doing it in the movies and it's like, bling, bling, bling. And you see all these snipers just, you know, I was not good at it. Like, I'll be honest with you, it, it, it's a lot harder than it looks. Like, like even just holding the trigger and like pulling it nice and soft and getting your heart you know, your heart rate down. So you're breathing smooth. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult. So hat tip to these guys that are like doing massive, uh, you know, target hits beyond, you know, a thousand meters. I think the longest sniper hit was either a, a British or a Canadian sniper. It was well over like 1.5 kilometers. Was it? Yeah. I think they've actually got it up to like over a mile, over a mile. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. A kill over a mile is pretty significant. Yeah, it's and crazy. you were a um, a scout sniper in the um, Navy SEALs, were you? Yep. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you got into like why did you decide to say like you know just one day you know I want to become a Navy SEAL and be be that guy? Like where was that coming from? It's pretty much it just happened like you said it. It was just like one day it just hit me. I actually had um, scholarships. Uh, lined up. I had three universities that, that I was looking at and I had some scholarships lined up for architecture and industrial design. My dad's an architect and I was going to follow his footsteps and, and go to university and become an architect. Um, <clears throat> and then surprisingly enough, you know, because I know you do a lot of stuff with talking about uh, men's relationships and women and all that. I had a girlfriend who cheated on me and part of the selection of the schools was in relation to me dating this girl and 
she didn't want me to be too far away because I want I lived in New Jersey and I was looking because I was into racing BMX bikes and mountain bikes and stuff. I was looking at schools in like Colorado and Texas and um and then that changed because of this relationship I had. And then I started looking at like Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, states that I really didn't want to be in. And then she cheated on me and I'm like, holy shit, like I was about to choose the school that I was gonna go to based on this relationship that was a temporary thing. Like, what the hell was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Like, that was a close call. And then it just kind of dawned on me, like, you know what? Going to the uh, guidance counselor and all that stuff in high school was, it was like, hey, dude, what are you good at? Oh, you're good at math and you're good at art? Your dad's an architect. Why don't you be an architect? Okay, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm 16, 17. I don't know what the hell I want to do. Yeah. So I realized I was making all these big, big decisions in my life based on other people embedding their suggestions into me, not me making my own choice. And I remember I was just sitting at the inlet uh, at this beach town that I grew up at and I was watching the the, the waves come in and, and crashing on the inlet. And I was just looking at the dark water. It was nighttime. <clears throat> and I was like, I remember hearing about these Navy SEAL commando guys that do like these crazy operations and they could just be swimming around, like swimming through this inlet right now in front of me. And no, I would have no idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, at the time it was, prior it was prior to september 11th and i was like and i heard that they were doing crazy missions down in central and south america fighting the drug war i was like you know what that's that's what i want to do uh, who who are these guys and how do i do that i don't feel like going to school i don't feel like sitting in a classroom you know at the time i was at, uh, big into tie boxing i was like i love fighting and i'm tired of just making decisions on everyone else embedding their thoughts into me i'm going to do what i want to do and the last minute like literally i had the the three universities forms on the desk and we were trying to figure out which university was the one I was going to take the scholarship for. And, um, I just came and told my parents, I was like, I'm going to join the Navy and try out for this, this thing called the SEAL teams. Mm-hmm. And they thought I was kidding. They're like, what? Do they what? think it was a joke? Like they laughed at you? Yeah. They thought I was joking. Cause I, I have like a sarcastic deadpan kind of humor. So like, all yeah. right, shut up to sign one of the contracts, which one you want to do? Yeah. Like, no, seriously. And, um, and that's kind of like what took that. And that was literally my, my senior year of high school. So right after that, I started training for about six months and then left for, for the Navy and started that whole process. Can you talk about the, um, I think it's called buds training, right? Yeah. Can you talk about the, like the selection process? Like if there's a hundred applicants, how many people generally get through and become, you know, like a Navy seal? Well, there's for one seal class, there's probably thousands of people who want to get into the pipeline if not more, by the time you graduate, there's probably about 20 dudes left of the original class. Um, so like in my class, you had all these guys in boot camp, like Navy boot camp, who failed out of the program before you even get to go to SEAL training. When you get the SEAL training, we had about 480 guys, um, 450 guys. And you did this initial five week introduction to SEAL training. And it's like, all right, guys, we're going to teach you how to pick up the log. We're going to teach you how to run with the boat and all that kind of stuff. So when we get into the actual SEAL training, we can keep the intensity up because we're not having to teach you how to do all this stuff. You already know how to do it. Well, in that first five weeks, you lose over half the people. Uh, And they start every morning off with the um, cold water inoculation. In week one, you sit down in the ocean in San Diego 
it's like four or five in the morning. The sun hasn't come up yet. And you walk out into the water, you lay neck deep in the water. And the water is probably in the low 60s, upper 50s. And you do five minutes. Week two is 10 minutes. Week three, 15, all the way up to week five is 25 minutes. And by the time you get out of that, you're like in hypothermia for the most part, you know. And most of the guys, great athletes, all this kind of stuff. It's amazing how fast being cold cuts people out of the mix. And the, the funny thing with it is all you have to do is sit there. It's, all it is is mental. You know what I mean? You just have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So you basically cut the class in half there, and then you actually start SEAL training, which BUDS is six months. And normally you start with a class that might be around uh, 180 guys. And by the time you finish, there's about 20 dudes left. And then after BUDS, you then go to SEAL qualification training. And then that's like, hey, okay, you're not an idiot. You're a team player and you're tough. Now we're actually going to teach you how to be a SEAL. And that training, SEAL qualification training, is about another four to eight months long. And then you show up to the SEAL team and then usually start a year to a year and a half training at the SEAL team before you actually deploy for the first time. So you basically train before your first deployment. You basically train for two and a half years straight and then you deploy. Let me ask you this question. A lot of the times they say that um, you get hired for your resume, but you get fired because of fit. Are there are there guys that that are in the 20 that actually go through the um, training itself to become a certified Navy SEAL that get terminated because of fit? Like they're not a team player or there's problems? Yeah. Yeah. And there's guys who quit once they get to the SEAL team. It's still, you can still quit at the SEAL team. I had my first... Uh, deployment rotation, we had two guys quit from my platoon um, because they were like, the one dude just couldn't adapt to the culture and the other guy, uh, <clears throat> he was just like having family stuff going on and he thought the, the tempo would slow down once he got to the team. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I, you know, I thought the tempo was only gonna be this intense because we were in training and now that we're actually at the team and the, the tempo was actually more you know, we were on the road training when we weren't deployed 300 plus days out of the year. So it was nonstop all the time. And um, so there's guys who are like, dude, this just isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And then there's other guys who it's like they did all on paper. They did everything good. And, and in the schooling, they did everything good. But then once you start getting to like the big boy kind of things, um, their decision making was just bad. Um, and it was a safety issue. So there's guys who would just get you know, taken out. But really, honestly, the the guys who get taken out at the team level, the most is usually like alcohol related. It's usually just making oh, okay. dumb decisions, going out, getting a DUI, doing it again, getting drunk, getting in a bar fight. And they're like, dude, you can't, if we can't trust you to hold your alcohol, like you can't maintain a security clearance. You know, you get those kind of things going on, you lose your security clearance. If you don't have a security clearance, you can't stay at the team. So there's a lot of dudes who kind of self implode that way. Um, through uh, decompressing stress in in um, un, unprofessional ways or or un, uh, ways that just that don't work out, you know what I mean? And they get they get removed from the team for for those reasons. That's that's more so the case though. And um, how did all that change you? Um, well, I mean, a lot of things change in a lot of different ways. Um, one thing that I think was 
for me personally, one of the most important parts, and I think a lot of men are missing this, is going through the portion of SEAL training called Hell Week. And I'm, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically six days nonstop training. You don't get to sleep. It, you're going 24 hours a day for literally six days. And this is our crucible. This is, are you tough enough? Do you have the tenacity and the mental fortitude to keep going when everything else says stop? And that's like the, the change of, do you belong in this community? Now you can still be an idiot and get kicked out of the community. There's still other things you can do. That doesn't mean like you're, you're the best Navy SEAL yet. This is just one of the main like uh, crucible tests to see if you're if you're fit to be in the community from uh, from like a warrior's standpoint kind of thing, and <clears throat> that crucible that everybody has to go through is what goes okay. You've shown us that you have what it takes to belong here. Now you obviously have to perform following that, but coming through Hell Week. <clears throat> as a young man, you go, holy shit, I'm like, I can do anything. You know what I mean? Like I can do whatever I put my mind to because physically there's no possible way you should be able to do that. But mentally we have completed it. And I think there's a, um, and for, so for me coming out of that, the confidence in myself, the confidence to be able to look at my, the, the people that I, that I work with and know that I belong here, you know what I mean? And I've proven it is a huge thing for a young man. And I did that for me. I was 19 years old when mm. I went through Hell Week. And what I think a lot of young men are missing today is this. You go to high school. High school is not good enough. You got to go to college. Well, college isn't good enough anymore. Now you have to get a master's degree or a doctorate or something like that. And now here you are, you're still in a school setting, right? In your late 20s, early 30s. And all you have to show for it, right, is a huge amount of debt. So financially, you don't feel strong. And now you walk into the workforce and there's people who are being like, oh, you're too overqualified. I can't afford to pay you. And a lot of these people wind up going into a field that they didn't get a degree in. And now they try to meet a woman, start a family, but they're still living at their parents' house because they have so much debt and all this kind of stuff. And they never actually had that crucible. And here they are where they're like 30 years old and they've never actually gotten to prove to themselves that they're a man. And it's hard to feel like a man when you're living in your parents' home, when you're in tons of debt and you don't have the job that you thought you were going to get. And now you're in this state of confusion and you don't believe in yourself. You don't believe in, in what you've been through. So for me personally, I think having the opportunity to be challenged in that way and to be able to earn my own respect and to earn the respect of people that I looked up to through having an opportunity to go through some type of crucible, I think was a huge stepping stone for me as a growth from a teenager into a, into a man, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was actually talking to a friend about this you know, the other day because we were, I don't know what we were commenting on uh, that um, started, but we were basically talking about why society is so weak today and potential solutions to that. 
And one of the things you know that came up was mandatory military service for men. <clears throat> There's a lot of countries that, that still have it. And it was around the same time I was watching this documentary on why Hitler never invaded Switzerland. And it's really, it's really interesting because Switzerland's kind of like one of those strange countries. Like I have an aunt that lives there and it's, um, everybody has to go through military service. And when they're done, they keep their, um, they keep their camo, they keep their weapons, they keep everything. So if anything ever happens, apparently in the future, you know, they can be called upon, you know, to serve or, you know, they can serve on their own if need be. They apparently also, um, wired every, um, access point into the country through the mountains, which was mostly by rail or, or by road over passages with uh, a bomb. So they could just blow it up if they were ever invaded just to stop the uh, access. Um, so I found that really, really interesting. Um, do you think that um, <clears throat> mandatory military service for citizens is a, is a good idea? It would sol solve a lot of the softness? Uh, possibly, but not based on current military standards. The military is just getting totally woke and weak. Um, I have a few buddies who are drill instructors now in the army and the stuff they're telling me is like, if I, for example, here I am a drill instructor. I'm not allowed to yell at you anymore. I can't make you do push-ups. You can't touch anybody. Um, if I said, hey guys, get over here. And there was, happened to be one woman in that or a guy who identified as a woman in that group. I could get reprimanded and even get kicked out as a drill instructor, get demoted in pay, get kicked out of the military because I mis, I misgendered or mischaracterized the, the people within that group. So the, the military right now is um, it's like a testing ground for the new woke uh you know, stuff, they're more, they're more focused on that than war fighting. So currently <laughs> I don't have much faith um, in that, that is, that would make a huge change. But traditionally speaking, I think, I think it would. One of the things that was big for me too, in, um, in my military service was I was a total, you know, idiot high school kid you know my my growing up in high school was basically like the the show jackass you know mm -hmm. we were always doing dumb stuff our bodies were crash test dummies doing all sorts of crazy bmx stunts and all this stuff and um <clears throat> and i came into the military not because i was patriotic you know this is just my story this isn't for most guys but it had nothing to do with being patriotic i wanted to go fight the drug cartels in central and south america again, pre 9-11. Mm -hmm. And once I actually went through boot camp and went through the SEAL training, all this stuff, it made me grow up to an extent very quickly. And now I was actually like, I felt like I was part of the team. And it's funny, I say Team America, and then they, they have a movie, which is a really funny movie. But like, but like, you're part of like, holy crap, like, I am an American. And this is the team that I'm that I'm on. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it it, it became like uh, I don't know. It just instilled a sort of patriotism that wasn't there that I just kind of took for granted because I was just a stupid high school kid. And now it's like, whoa, this is real. And then 9/11 happened. USS Cole attack happened. We went to war, and it was like, okay, this is the team we're fighting for, and I'm on the team. And this is a, this is a very important team. 
and we need to protect this team. You mm. know what I mean? And through that, um, there was a lot, there was some maturing that happened, but also it instilled a form of patriotism that wasn't there as just some knucklehead punk rock BMX kid, you know, from high school. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because I've because I've heard this um, I've heard this soundbite many times before. Like I've talked to a few military guys on my channel. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Like in the last month or two, I was having a conversation with a retired RAF tornado pilot, which is an attack uh, plane, and you know he served in, in quite a few different theaters, and he was saying the same thing. The Royal Air Force has gone full full of woke. They have diversity inclusivity training now. Um, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned was echoed. I've got an A-10 pilot coming on in January once he's retired. Um, so I'm interested in hearing his story too. But like, do you think, I mean, how, how can I phrase it? Like, do you think China and Russia are laughing at us with the way that we're running, you know, the country and the military more specifically? Yeah, and unfortunately, I think, I think what we're doing here might be in cahoots with China. Like, I, I don't even know if if it's not, if they're not one and the same, if we're not working together. I mean, if you look at all the major corporations in America that, that are pushing all this stuff, they're they're tied deeply in with, with China. I mean, Apple has all their manufacturing there. They just signed a 200 and what was it? $65 billion contract with China. Okay, so who are they really going to side with? Like these companies have so much sway and power. If you look at like Amazon, how much stuff that comes through Amazon is made in China? Mm -hmm. All of Apple stuff is made in China. Disney is, you know, huge made in China. All the sports teams, all their equipment's made in China. So all these people who are controlling culture here in the United States. They all have ties to China and they want China not to change because that's how they get their cheap labor, right? But all these people, they, they claim to be American companies, but they don't put America first. They're global companies. So they don't really care what happens with America. They're more looking at it as a global, uh, and this is just my take on it, right? But I would imagine that they look at more of a, a global impact versus America. And, you know, America, you guys should just kind of get on track with things. Everyone else is doing it this way. You guys are the only ones who are holding on, like, and ultimately, I think what they're going to try to do is get us to go to where we have that social credit score using the COVID passport as an excuse to implement the COVID uh, or the, the um, social credit score that they have in China. And that's been there for like 20, almost 20 years now. And it's a very, very, very dangerous. And... Um, and it's one of those things, once you get tied into something like that, there's no getting out of it through votes or peaceful means. So it's like we're walking ourselves into a trap. And with, uh, you know, I don't, I, I hate saying that I think that we're in cahoots, but you can't, when you look at what just happened in Afghanistan, you go here, we've spent years, 20 years, trillions and trillions of dollars in Afghanistan, all of our latest and greatest technology that we had there, we just walked out and left it in the hands of the people we were just fighting. And as soon as we walk out, China steps in one week later, one week later, China steps in 
makes a contract with the Taliban and now has the mineral rights to go and start mining for all of the batteries and these precious metals for the microchips that we're waiting for, for our cars. And then also for all these battery cells as all the governments try to force us into doing, uh, going all electric in our vehicles and all that stuff. It just happens to be that we walk out and we leave them our ent- like an entire military arsenal. And then we allow China to walk in and take the mineral rights um, as they're doing in other places like Africa and South America. And you go, how could you be that naive? How could you be that dumb? And the thing is, is I don't think they are. Like, how could you, how could you run a country? And it's not like Joe Biden. Yeah. It, it's like, oh, dude, I've never been president before. I'm new at this. He was the vice president for eight years just a few years ago. So it's not like he doesn't know. He was already managing Afghanistan and all that stuff as the vice president. So it's very hard for me to look at this and go, it's it's coincidental. You know, so uh, for me personally, like, I think when I look at how all of the countries are complying to the WHO and the CDC and everyone's on the same game plan, to me, it seems like there's a lot of networks and a lot of people working together. And this is all something that's done by design. Mm-hmm. Versus it just being, um, you know, a couple bad leaders, you know, making a couple bad decisions. Um, yeah, I know that's a lot to absorb right there. It's yeah, dude, like that's, like that's a rant, you know, in itself. But it's like they spent so much money, which they just printed out of thin air. A lot of people gave their lives to all that bullshit. Like even even Canadian, uh, you know, personnel, there was there was years like not even like months or so, but but there was like years, maybe even a decade or so where a lot of Canadian um, military men and I don't know what what branches they served in, you know, specifically, but it got so bad that so many guys were dying um, over there that they when they flew them in from Germany over to Trenton, which is out in Kingston, they would they would have to drive the bodies across Highway 401 over here, which is which was renamed the Highway of Heroes. So to sort of like give tribute to all the guys that like gave their lives for essentially nothing, they just slap a label on it to make it, you know, seem nice and and pretty, you know, like it's a pig, right? Like you can put yeah. lipstick and makeup on a pig, it's still a pig. And that's really what they did by naming that highway the high, Highway of Heroes. And there was there was a little bit of, you know, like lip service given where there was servicemen that would like be on the bridges and stuff when the convoy would go under the bridges and sort of stuff. But it's really sad, man. I mean, like, you know, if you ever feel like you're not doing anything with your life, just remember the governments of the world spent 20 years, trillions of dollars, killed a whole bunch of people to replace the Taliban with the Taliban. Like that's what the global yeah. elites did. Well, I think what they did too is I don't even think, I think they replaced the Taliban with the Taliban but I think in, in the bigger picture of what they did was they said, here, China, you can have the rights to all these minerals. Yeah. That's really what they did. They handed it. Anything of any it value, it they handed to the Chinese. Yeah, they handed it to the Chinese. The Taliban are the, like the money launderers. You know what I mean? They're, mm-hmm. they're the washing machine uh, in the, um, you know, the money washing. Yes. That's an interesting way to see it. Um, wow. That's deep shit, man. So um, can you share any stories about your time, you know, with the Navy SEALs? It sounds like you've, you dealt mostly in Latin America with the drug lords. Like, like, let me ask you this question. So I'm, I'm more of the opinion of like a libertarian. Like if somebody wants to go and 
do something to their body, as long as they're not hurting anybody else, I don't really care. Like, I think the amount of money that they spend on fighting drug wars and enforcing drug laws, it's like, as long as it's not something that's a like a stupid drug, but to fight a drug war on something like marijuana, like they did for years, like it's totally illegal in, in Canada. There's a lot of states in the U.S. now where it's totally legal, and it, and it seemed like a waste of time, money, and resources. Like, what's your view on drug wars today now that you spent time fighting them? Um... So I'm kind of with you on the same point, like more of like a libertarian approach to where if you want to do drugs, I don't care. And I think the same thing with like the drug crime going into um, like hate crimes, like this new hate speech and hate crimes and all this stuff. I think it's kind of like a, a bullshit term. It's like a boogeyman um, that they need to find, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's like if I stab you, whether I stabbed you because I didn't like your race or I stabbed you because I wanted drug money or your watch, like stabbing you is illegal, regardless of what my intent was or my reasoning, unless I was in self-defense, I'm not allowed to stab you. Whatever my, the purpose of me stabbing you is kind of like, okay, we're, we're nitpicking things now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's like when they do the thing where like certain knife lengths have to be legal or it's an assault knife versus a regular knife. It's like, well, what does that matter? If I stab you, it's illegal. I could stab you with a pitchfork, a knife, a piece of rebar. Rebar is not illegal. You could stab someone with a piece of rebar. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's more of- People get stabbed in jail with sharpened toothbrushes. Yeah. So like, okay, are we going to ban toothbrushes? You know what I mean? So, so what was the action that I did and that, that made that an issue? Um, so I'm not, from, from a libertarian standpoint, it's like, I really don't care what you want to do. But when you cross that line to where you make decisions now that 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 um, you know start jeopardizing the safety and the rights of other people, well, now now you've committed that crime. Um, the a, a lot of this stuff it's tricky, man, because there's so much. Like the deeper you get into it, the more you realize how political everything is. You know what I mean? Um, like for example. One of the guys who I work with now, he actually owned a weapons manufacturing company, totally legit company years ago. <clears throat> and uh, people came in, did a total legit purchase, right? They bought like a couple thousand guns for like a, gov a government contract. And those guns went into the hands of the ATF and went into the Fast and Furious thing and these guns got put onto the black market and sent into Mexico and Central America. One of those guns then later on turned up coming back across the border and was used in the murder of a border patrol agent. My friend then got on the hook for selling guns to the cartels and he was sitting in front of Congress arguing that he didn't do anything wrong, that, that the purchase of the weapons, he didn't know what they were going to do with them, right? But so, for example, like here's thousands of guns. This is during the Obama years. They they purchased thousands of of weapons, sent them across the border. And then they came and told the American people that they wanted to to uh, put bans on weapons because gun shops were being too loose in the way they were handling their their weapons. And, and people at gun shows were selling weapons. And they were getting put across the border 
and they were causing crime in Central America and Mexico was out there preaching like, hey, America, you guys need to ban your guns. This is bullshit. We have American guns showing up all over the place. And it turns out it was our own federal government that was sending all these weapons into there and then basically um, gaslighting the American people, saying it was our fault that our us holding on to our Second Amendment rights was jeopardizing the Mexican community and was empowering the drug cartels and these criminal organizations when it was them who were doing it. So what happened so to his business? These, yeah. So and then the whole the whole Fast and Furious scandal came up. And we subpoenaed uh, Eric Holder, who was the attorney general at the time, and he, and he just said, I'm not showing up. And nothing happened. No one held him accountable. No one ever got held accountable. Um, it was one of like the big scandals of, of, of that time. And nothing happened. And what but was the cost of your friend's business? Like, is it still around? Did it, did it ruin him? Or? Uh, yeah, he sold that company and he's like... Um, he sold that company and um, I'm not sure what's happening with the company now under the new ownership, yeah. but he was in the hot seat. Like they, they had him sitting in front of Congress. So the, the thing with that is like, there's so much, the deeper you get into it, the more you realize there's a whole bunch of politics going on mm -hmm. and it's a much bigger animal um, than it is, but it would be much more simplistic if it was just, Hey, dude, if you want to do dumb shit, as soon as you cross that line and, and start affecting other people, you're going to get hammered. You know what I mean? If you want to sit in your own house and be an idiot, then that's up to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it would take a lot of the power away from the cartels because part of what gives the cartels the power is the fact that all these stuff is illegal and it's done on the black market. Yeah, and it's not like that. Like the war on drugs stopped anything. It's it's still around. There's still cartels. There's still a lot yeah. of black market money that moves. Um, lots from what I understand. Um, did you have any deployments anywhere else, or was it just in Latin America with the drug stuff? Well, I I've, I've been working down there for the last ten or eleven years out out of the military. So that's why I joined. Um, then nine eleven happened, and it, the attention shifted to the Middle East. And I did two deployments before I got medically pushed out of the military for a, a medical condition that developed. And um, my two deployments were into the the Baltics region, where we were actually tracking down war criminals from previous wars and then tracking the terrorist cells who were trafficking money and weapons from back and forth from Europe into the Middle East. So a lot of the stuff that we were doing was more of the scout reconnaissance, intelligence gathering, tracking, snatch and grabs, all those kind of mission sets, um, which for the everyday person would be more of like what you would imagine like CIA operators doing mm -hmm. versus like direct action um, and uh, assaults and stuff like that. So. And, and um, like scout snipers, for example, that's usually a two man team. Yeah, two to four. Okay. Like, so you might do, I mean, it all depends. It all depends. But normally the guys who are doing the observer, the observation part, um, it's usually like uh, two guys. But you might have more guys in the whole thing for like command and control, extra security and all that kind of stuff. But normally you have a shooter and a spotter who, who are up there um, on the line. Mm. And... I mean, what was that like? I mean, I'm curious, like, what's it like having basically a license to kill? 
and taking somebody's life. I mean, I'm, you know, th these are all bad guys or you're told they're bad guys anyway. Like, I'm sure you lost friends, you know, while you were serving and, and there's, of course, the bad guys that go down. But what's that like? Well, as far as having the um, shooting one of the bad guys, I never actually had to on any of those sniper missions. There were more sniper slash scout reconnaissance missions. It was a very technical. So there was missions that went on that were we were supposed to take out the target, right? The problem is where we were deployed to, we weren't technically supposed to be there. So if that were to happen, local forces would have to come in and claim credit for the mission. And in that, what would happen is as that those other forces would get ready, usually what would happen is someone would tip off one of the, the people and the target that we're watching would then get a phone call or a text message of, hey, there's people watching you. They're getting ready to freaking come grab you or they're going to they're going to kill you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And those guys would go run away or the the team that was supposed to come in and take credit for it would wait just long enough. It seemed like, oh, yeah, we'll be there in 30 minutes. And three hours later, they still haven't showed up. And at two hours and 45 minutes, the dude leaves the target and then, oh, here come the guys, you know, 15 minutes later. And it's like, dude, you're supposed to be here two and a half hours ago. So it was extremely frustrating dealing with all the politics of that. Um, but so I can't necessarily speak as to that, but it, it was something to be said for, you know, tracking guys and basically stalking targets, you know, watching them, building intel packages on them and all the people they were hanging out with, the cars they were driving and uh, putting all this stuff together. And, and, you know, you're following these dudes. They have no idea you're there until you'd have to call in to go grab the guy or to take the guy out. And then all of a sudden, you know, everyone now knows you're there because someone in the, in the chain is leaking the information. So it was extremely uh, frustrating from that standpoint especially because you know that the people we're watching were wanted for committing genocide. And it's like, dude, we could just go grab this guy right now. Like, mm -hmm. why don't we just go grab him? But it, but again, the, the, the politics and rules of engagement and all that kind of stuff, because we weren't technically in a, in a war zone, we were working through um, Eastern European countries, you know, under the radar. So at the end of the day, like we, if you, did something it would have turned into a huge international event and um so you have to kind of play by the international rule book on that so it's a it's a frustrating dynamic to try to navigate the the um expectations versus reality dynamic of you know joining the navy seals going through the training doing the deployments and then retiring um what's that like you know for people watching right now just so they understand because i mean like I think we all have expectations when you, you know, when we get into something, when you work for a company, you get in a relationship, you buy a car, whatever. And then there's the reality of what happens after that. And what I've heard from a lot of guys that serve in the military now is, um, I don't know the best way to describe mm -hmm. it aside from maybe saying something like they feel let down, like they feel like they, they kind of wasted their time or they wouldn't recommend doing what they did to a friend or a family member, like taking the same path. Like what's your thoughts on that? 
I would say each one of those things would have to be based on the individual's experience and what the individual wanted to get out of that military experience. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it, I'd tell people, if you want to join the military because you want to get money for college, I don't think you should. If you want to join the military because it's something that you feel like you really want to do and, and whatnot, then you're going to have a different experience. If you feel like you're going to be frustrated if you're just there trying to ride the clock and every day you're looking at like, all right, three more years, two months. All right. You know what I mean? If you're constantly like that for your entire enlistment, you're not going to enjoy yourself. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. If you're in that mindset, regardless of what it is, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy the time. Even when there's good opportunities and good things happening, you're going to find, you have a negative attitude toward it. Um, what I would say is there are some things that are letdowns and there's some things that were amazing. You know what I mean? Um, but, but again, that's, that's kind of life. Um, I know I, I had seen, I had seen a video, one of the few videos I had seen in high school that had reference to the Navy SEALs. Again, there wasn't many, uh, before I went in cause it was pre nine 11, but there was some old dude in Africa and he had like a mustache. It was gray mustache. And there had been some big firefighter operation that happened in Africa I don't remember exactly the details. I just remember that this dude was in, being interviewed by a news reporter and she's like, how is it that you guys fought all these bad guys and killed 300 dudes or whatever it was, you know, it was some crazy number. And none of you, none of the seals got killed and you survived this and you got away and blah, blah, blah. And the dude was just sitting there and he had like a dip, like a, uh, like a tobacco dip in. And he's just like, well, and he spits and he goes, <laughs> I think I've seen this clip. Yeah. He's like, the thing is, we're not even that good. And he spits again and he goes, all these other guys, they just suck. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Like I didn't get it. And then I get to the actual team and what you start to realize is get really good at the fundamentals, get really good at the basics. Cause one of the main things is just being able to shoot steady, shoot accurate and communicate with your team members. So there's not just a bunch of individuals running around on the battlefield, doing their own thing. You have a group of guys who are in communication with each other, implementing some baseline uh, tactics, shooting accurate, using the equipment they have and the, and the assets that they have makes a huge difference um and if you were to look at it like basketball or hockey or something like that a give and go where you pass it to your partner you fucking you drive to the basket or to the cage and they pass it right back to you mm -hmm. like that's the old most old school baseline move you know play in sports and it still works you know what i mean it works so often or like a baseline pick and roll kind of thing like it's just, it's a fundamental thing and it works. And if you guys work together as a team, like, holy shit, look at this. This is, this is successful. So I think there's a lot of stuff that people see in movies and they expect it to be like, you know, mission impossible kind of stuff. And I'm not saying things like that haven't happened, but those, the more complex you make the mission, the more possibility it's going to fail. And a lot of times it's just needs to be basic enough or high speed enough to make it work but not so high speed that you put in so many variables that it makes it nearly impossible because it's never going to go exactly the way you want it to. So you have to be able to adapt, evolve and overcome. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, m most of the things you do are so, you know, 
uh, basic and simplified. You just got to do it right. You know what I mean? Um, so in that sense, you kind of like, I can see some people being let down because I got like, I thought this was going to be more complex than it is. You know what I mean? And it's really not that complex. It's um, not like the two hour movie that you go see in the theater where it's all, you know, lights and smashes and blo and explosions and stuff. It's a lot of, it sounds like, you know, for you as a scout sniper is a lot of doing nothing, right? Like just watching. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a scout, as a scout sniper, it, it's, it's like it you have the feeling like you're like you're hunting like so for one for one example one of the groups that we went to go watch this dude was one of the war criminals and he had a protection team of 17 guys and where their hunting cabin was was an area of these mountains that had been peppered years prior with with bombs uh landmines hmm. Uh, anti-personnel mines that have never been cleaned up and people die every year in this country that I'm referring to by stepping on these landmines that were dropped 20, 30 years ago. You know what I mean? What do you uh, mean drop? Like, do they just like fly over and drop them and they sort of parachute? Yeah. And just yeah. They just drop these things from planes and they just put them all out, you know, oh, really? And uh, it's against the Geneva convention now because years later, people I didn't are know that. I always thought that they had to like place them manually. Uh, there's some that are placed manually. Some, some are deployed, you know, um, in, in different methods, but they're just scattered all over the, all over the place. Mm -hmm. okay. So we're not allowed to use landmines, um, because it's, it's against the Geneva convention. You can't leave a, a, an explosive unattended. So if anything, like you can have an explosive, but like a booby traps, like we, we're not allowed to just leave booby traps unattended based on technically under the, under the Geneva convention. You're not allowed to do it. Okay. Because there's no control over this is going to be detonated on the person who's the enemy. You know what I mean? There's no, control. they don't want them left behind. So some kid running around in the woods exactly. steps on it and loses his life. Exactly. Cause Fair that's enough, a, yeah. now that's a war crime. Yeah. Okay. So in this, we had to go in and to get to this hunting cabin, right? Where if you go to a hunting cabin, people go out at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. before the sun comes up and they get into their tree stands and all that stuff. And they want us to go watch these guys and get photos of these guys. And this was one of those things where if he was there, we were either going to have the assault team come in and get him where we were going to do a sniper mission, follow on sniper mission and take out the, um, this dude who is the general uh, in the, for uh, wanted for these war crimes. It all depended on what came back from like uh, NATO and, and the European Union. So, but we were to get in a position and observe, make sure they were there, put build the Intel report, then have a follow on sniper mission or assault mission depending and we we're going to be sniper overwatch depending on what nato and and the european union came back with so for this to take the guys you're like this is a horrible idea there's 17 dudes supposedly and they could be sitting in tree stands looking for a deer and then they see us walking in and you want us to walk through an area that we has known to have landmines in it like this is stupid but if that's what we're going to do just for the record i'm saying that this is really dumb <laughs> you know but we'll go do it but i advise against it so we went and we did it and we went in there and so i mean walking through that area you know is pretty um 
is pretty intense. Getting into position and trying to make sure you're not walking in with guys who are also in camo, sitting in tree stands, waiting for a deer, but now you come walking into their field of fire, you know what I mean? Like um, with high caliber, uh, you know, hunting rifles, like most of your body armor and stuff like that doesn't protect you from, you know, something like a 30 odd six or whatever, especially at close range like that. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> coming into position and watching these guys and knowing what these guys have done before and what they're capable of, and you're up there in your in your hide, um, you know, taking in at this point, you're not shooting You're you have like a big, like Canon camera, and you're taking photographs of all the dudes and the license plates and, you know, building out of what the structure looks like, what the gates are, which mode of entry are they using the most? You know, if you always see them using one door, but not another door, like maybe that door is booby trapped. And this is the one door that only people use, mm-hmm. you know, so don't use the front door. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Um, so it's intense being up there and trying to be sneaky and not, you know, doing very little movement, making no noise while building this Intel package, you know, when you're only 90 yards away from the guys who, you know, are very, very dangerous men, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it, it's like, you're like stalking, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're stalking the the target, you're stalking the prey. In our case, there just was no, at the end of it, there was no follow through um, due to politics, you know, and it is what it is and it's frustrating, but again, we're there to be professionals. And, uh, if that's what they say, then that's, what we have to do if you go against that and go f this i know this guy's a piece of shit i'm just going to shoot him like uh, then you're going to go to jail Mm. you know what i mean so you have to be um mature in that sense of you know going with what the mission's called for and you know um but it's an it's an intense experience regardless because then at the end of it you still have to get out and get away and get back to your extraction point without getting caught so, I mean, it's in, it's intense stuff, but it's just a little bit different than what um, some of the other guys experienced. But it was, it was a lot of stuff like that. And like right now, like I want to talk a little bit more about Full Spectrum Warrior and the uh, ranch that you run and what you're doing today. I think you said that you were traveling down to Latin America quite a bit to, to do some, like, like, is that police forces or like what do you deal with? Yeah, I mainly work for the most part in Brazil. Brazil. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. I work with a lot of police departments down there, a lot of their special tactics teams. Um, I've been all over the country, almost to every state. (coughs) And I train both police and civilians. Recently been training a lot more civilians as the civilians have now start to have their second amendment reopened under Bolsonaro. Um, So more civilians are now having access to own personal firearms and they want to shoot. They want to learn to protect themselves and their family now that they can own guns. And there was a monopoly on the on the firearms industry before. And Bolsonaro has allowed the import of other weapons in. So their their uh, gun uh, economy is like booming right now because you can finally get guns other than like Imbel and Taurus and whatnot. So mm. uh, before you could get it, but it would be super super expensive. It's still expensive now just because of the currency exchange difference and uh, the taxes there are so high, but it's much more readily available. Did you, did that give you some decent opportunity to spend some time with the Brazilian women? Like, are they what everybody says they're? Um, they're very uh, outgoing and they're, they're, I don't, I don't know how to, I, I, I never actually 
had experiences with the Brazilian women personally, because for most of the time that I was working down there, I, I was married. I'm not married anymore. Mm -hmm. But so I was faithful to my wife while I was down there. But they're they're very outgoing and very touchy feely um, from what I gather from, you know, the guys of the culture. The culture is just very, you know, touchy feely and, and mm -hmm. very outgoing in general. Yeah. Like, let's shift gears before we go over to uh, full spectrum because I want to talk about the dogs and the training and all that sort of stuff. Um, the women part of life, like the relationship part of life, I can't remember who it was, whether it was you or, or Trevor, that um, had some chaos in their life at the time when I was down at the ranch. Can you talk about your experience? Like, you know, like as a Navy SEAL, like, what's that like for you? Like, what sort of stuff have you been dealing with? So I think when you came, I think Trevor had gone through a divorce like a year before you got there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that's yeah, he was how, talking about that's how stuff. he was following your, your information. Mm -hmm. And the reason he wanted you to come out to the ranch, I had just gone through a divorce myself. Mm. So he was like, hey, these are great dudes. They do some really cool training. Um, they're speaking at this convention coming up because uh, you were speaking at one of the conventions in Orlando, I believe. Mm -hmm. And... He's like, these would be really good people for you to meet. And because I had just myself gone through a divorce as well. Was that um, like when you got red pilled sort of thing? Eh, somewhat. Yeah. So it was one of those things to where like, I don't think I've ever been um, like as far as when you guys refer to like beta males and all that kind of stuff. It was, I found myself in a very interesting position and, and I would say like, yeah, maybe I kind of got like red pilled, but I kind of red pilled myself kind of deal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then reading some of your guys' books and sitting in, I was like, it was basically added some confirmation to the things that I was feeling. And, um, but what I would say is this, one of the big things that I took away is, and this isn't just with women, this is with business relationships and friendships and whatnot. Um, one of my problems is that makes me, it makes me a great coach, but it makes me very vulnerable. I've found in different types of relationships is I, I know what potential I have and I know what I've been able to achieve against all odds. Everyone told me that a 145 pound guy who is 17, 18 years old, would never be able to make it through SEAL training. I was tiny. I was skinny. I'm still skinny. But, mm -hmm. you know, at 150 pounds, I made it through the world's, arguably the world's hardest military training. So if I could do that, I know what others could do if they really just put their mind to it, right? So as a coach, I'm like, I see your potential. Like, I see what you could be. You know what I mean? But with relationships, people are telling me in different ways who they are and who they're going to be. And what I was doing, I was like, yeah, I know that's what you're saying, but I know what you truly could be. So I'm walking into relationships constantly going, but I know what you, I know the potential that you have. Are, I know are you talking about, you know, potential, like as far as men that you're training or as far as women in relationships? <clears throat> well, so for example, my wife, who I who I got divorced with when when I met you, mm. we met when I was like 25, 26 years old and we got married. And at the time she was like, yeah, you know, 
it was like, oh, what do you, what do you believe in? She's like, well, I'm kind of agnostic. You know, I'm kind of spiritual. She was going through like yoga instructor school. So she was going down that rabbit hole at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, up until two years ago, I would as agnostic or atheist or whatever. I didn't believe in God. I, I, I found my, my faith and my walk in that just two years ago. So, Hey, you know, I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to be patient, you know, and maybe she's just being around the wrong people. If you've been surrounding yourself with piece of shit people, then maybe you make piece of shit decisions. But if you got around the right people, your mindset on that might change. So, you know what, maybe that's not a showstopper that, that she's not of the same faith on the same faith walk as I'm on now. And it was like, yeah, you know, like, I don't know if I want to have kids. Like uh, there's still a lot of things I want to do. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, you're 24, 25 years old. I'm 26, 27 or whatever it was, like two years apart. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, you don't have kids right now. I mean, we're in our mid twenties, you know, by the time she's 30, she'll probably want to have a family. Like most people do. They're like, I got a lot going on right now. I don't think I want to have kids yet, but maybe I'll have them later, you know? Um, And just different, different things like on that line to where she told me what she, what she was truly thinking and I'm sitting here going, yeah, that's what you said now, but I know where you could be in the future. And we get along really well right now, but then you fast forward the marriage by six, seven years, and here we are, and she's now progressed on her on her yoga spiritual, like I'm a strong, independent woman. You know, I don't want to have a family and be tied down by kids. You know, I want to travel the world and teach yoga, but yet here I am busting my ass paying for all this shit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, it just got to the point. It's like, wait, so we're not going to have a family and you don't have a normal job and you want me to continue to go to work and you can travel the world teaching yoga without me because you don't want me there overshadowing you because you need to be a strong, independent woman. No, I'm not, I'm not going along with this. And where we're going to get to is either one, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to have a family with me and you're going to resent me and you're going to resent the children because that is what's trapping you in the house, locking you into the general rules of what a woman's supposed to do. And I'm going to be the, the bigot husband, mean Navy SEAL who locks you in the home and, um, and you're confined by these restraints and you can't reach your full potential and see the world. And you're, we're going to, you're going to, you're going to have, um, like tension against me because there's a resentment against me, or I'm going to allow you to travel the world teaching yoga and we're going to have no children, have no family. And I'm going to resent you and feel like you're taking advantage of me. And here I am being the, you know, the dupe who's going to work every day, busting my ass so that you can live your dream and go travel the world with your friends without me and go teach yoga and go do photo shoots and stuff like that. I'm not doing it. So at that point I said, Hey, she said she wanted to go to Thailand for a month and go do this thing. And I said, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to stand in your way. But if you decide to do that, I don't know where our relationship's going to be. And um, so she did it. And then I filed for divorce. So it, it was just one of those things where it's like, you can go do that. But I'm not, I'm not going to be the one who's supporting this. You know, here we're, you're in your early 30s now. And she's like, well, I'd have to find myself. You know what I mean? You got to travel the world when you were in the Navy. I never got to travel the world. I'm like, you know what find myself usually means? 
Yeah, what? That usually means his name is Tyrone Chad or Kevin yeah, from yeah, Sales. Yeah. And I'm like, you can find yourself. That's fine. I'm not paying for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we got to that point to where it's kind of drew a line in the sand where it's like, okay, we're getting old. Er, but more so for her, like you're getting to the point where if we decide to have kids, there's a high probability that they're going to be autistic or mm-hmm. that you're going to have health issues or something like that because you're getting into your mid thirties and you haven't had a child yet. And based on your game plan, there's nothing in here that sh- says that you want to settle down and have a family anytime soon. It's not just that it's, it's fucking exhausting. Like, like from like birth to about year four, maybe three and a half to four, it's fucking mm-hmm. exhausting. It's a lot of work and you don't yeah. have the energy in your forties that you did in your thirties. Right. Or even twenties. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was when, when you walked in and, um, was that like a what the fuck moment? Like, like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, I, you know, I provided all of this for you and like, you know, the whole strong independent, like I'm so strong, independent. I don't need no man, but it's like, yeah, you know, you're paying for the yoga classes, you're paying for accommodation, you're paying for travel. Like, was that like a big, like WTF moment for you? Yeah. And, and, you know, leading up to it, it was things like this. So I would go to these charity events and I would come out of the helicopter with the dog. Like we did one in Mar-a-Lago and- Is that like where you come down the rope? Yeah, come down the fast rope and I got the I got my working dog with me. And the dog strapped to your chest, right? On this one, it was hanging like below me, like yeah. tethered mm-hmm. and come, you know, repelling or fast roping into the event. We do a little demonstration and it's a charity event. And like this one, we're going to Donald Trump's house, Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. And I'm fast roping into the event out of a freaking helicopter. And afterwards, it's a gala. It's like a big fundraising charity event. And we get to have this really nice dinner and get to meet a bunch of like, uh, you know, big name people and uh, stay at a really nice hotel down the street. And I invite her to come with me as as my like as my wife, like want to come with me. And she didn't want to go. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to go? She's like, I just I don't want to I serve no purpose there. And I'm like, what do you mean you serve no purpose? You serve me, woman. You're my you're my wife. Like, why wouldn't you be there with me as my wife? She's like, I don't feel like being your arm candy. Oh wow. And it's like my arm candy, you're not my arm candy, you're my wife. You're beautiful, you're my wife. We're going to go do this. She's like, well, everyone just wants to talk to you because you're a Navy SEAL. And I just have to stand there and be stupid because there's no purpose in me being there. But to be, uh, oh, because I'm pretty, so I'm supposed to stand there. And I'm like, no, you come with me because you're my partner and you're my wife. This is a charity event. And by people talking to me and getting to meet a Navy SEAL, they're going to donate money to support all these amazing families. And what do we get out of it? We get to help families. And yeah, we get to stay two nights at a really nice hotel. We get to go to Mar-a-Lago, have a fancy dinner, have a cool experience and enjoy the night. Like, I got to understand why this is, you know, a thing, but like to her that that was degrading to her because, um, I, I don't, I don't know if she, cause it wasn't. No, I know what you're saying. It's like almost astonishing that women feel that it's degrading to support mm-hmm. her husband's mission right like to yeah. yield to him to be a compliment to to his life is now degrading right which is which is so bizarre because i mean i bet you if she had a conversation with her grandmother if she was still around she'd probably be like ksh, ksh, what's wrong with you right but times have changed i mean do you find that's that's like 
something that you come across more and more now? Like I know that you're married for, for a period of time and you're always faithful to her, but now that you're out there, like do you find that that's like, it's not just her or is it different or like, what's your experience been like that with dating now? Yeah. I, th- I mean, it's just the culture is changing, but I think the, I, I see that there's definitely a pushback. I think the pendulum is going to start swinging the other direction where I think a lot of these people like, um, you know, I think there's women starting to realize that they've been lied to. You know what I mean? That, that, that this isn't what they were promised. Isn't as, as good as it was supposed to be. And, and I hope that's the case. And I hope people start realizing this, especially when they start looking at how our governments are, are um, brainwashing the children and implementing this sexualization in, in the school systems and this, this fear and hate and segregation within, within the, the racial teachings that they're pushing in the school systems. And it's like, you wanted to be that strong, independent woman and not be in that mother position. Like, to me, it's just kind of nuts that you would want someone else raising your child versus you raising your child. Like, I don't understand me personally how that is a negative or derogatory thing. Like, well, can you- well they've been sold this bill of goods. I mean, I'll tell you what it is. Like, women today, for the most part, they want to have children but they don't want to be a parent, they don't want to be a mother, and they don't want to be a wife. So what's the point? Exactly. So that's something that guys need to get clear on in their heads when they're dealing with a woman, if they're looking to have a family or have kids, is does she want to be all those things? Does she want to be a wife? Does she want to be a complement to your life, not the focus? Does she want to be a mother? Meaning, does she want to homeschool the kids? Does she want to properly raise them and instill values with them? You know, does she want to be a parent, which is, you know, a lot of people today, I find anyway, you know, when it comes to women, there's a lot of single moms out there too. They, they tend to like to be their kid's best friend. And it's like, that kid's not your friend, lady. That kid is your child. You need to parent them and enforce boundaries. And they don't understand the need to parent, be a mother and be a compliment to a man's wife. All of those things seem foreign today. And they seem like it's a, it's a detriment or it's holding them back or they're serving somebody, which is so weird because they're so happy to serve the government or serve a employer, but they won't serve the household. They won't serve their kids. They won't serve their husbands. There's a lot of women that refuse to do it. And they think that it's like oppression, you know, for example. And it's like, ladies, if you were really being oppressed by men, we wouldn't let you have feminism. Trust us. Yeah. Valid point. Valid point. And, and the thing with it too, is it's, it's, you know, it's easy to get gaslit into that because there was times where it's like, okay, you know, I'm hanging out with this, uh, for example, like you're you're in that like yoga community and everyone's super nice, but it's like you try to start drawing those boundaries, and it's like oh yo yeah Rich one of those hardcore military guys you know um, you know um, big bad mean Navy Seal mm-hmm. you know doesn't let his poor little wife do anything you know and so uh, and again like I don't want to have to be a dictator in in relationships and that's not my 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 leadership style is i'm more of the of the line of um i'm going to tell you what what needs to be done or, or whatever and then you have the decision to to do that or not and a lot of times i'll give uh i was i was telling this with one of my buddies down in brazil because he was going through through this stuff with his girlfriend 
Let me just stop you on that story for a second. I just want to correct yeah. you on something. So this is kind of my wheelhouse for those of you that are new or the channel watching this sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were to ask your woman to do something, right? The way that the way that you got to look at it as a guy is you've got to look at it as she has three options. It's, you know, she executes, you know, so you ask her to do something and she executes it. Uh, she's confused and she needs clarity. Hey, Rich, uh, I'm not sure what you mean by this. Do you want me to do A, B, and C? So then she comes to you for clarity. Or three, it's she has a better way to do it and she comes to you with a different solution. That's really it. It's not like you don't have the option not to do it. Like if if you're going to have responsibility to a family, if you're going to have a responsibility to protect a woman, because let's be honest, I mean, if there's a bang in the night, there's a big bang downstairs and you're in bed with your wife, your girlfriend, your woman, whatever, do you just nudge her and say, you go get this one, babe, you know, because you're a feminist. She's going to expect you to leap out of bed, grab a weapon and go do what you're supposed to do as a guy because you're the protector. Women, Men and women are not the same. We're not, you yeah. know, the way that you look at, at, at that angle, you know, as far as like, I, I'm going to give you the option, you have to take that away and you actually have to say to her, you know, it needs to be done. And if you're not going to do it, you have to come back with either I'm confused and look for clarity or I have a better solution. Why don't we try this? Yeah, great point. And let me, I'll, so let me, I'll explain on that a little bit because I think I might have, I said what I said, but in in my thoughts, some of the things that were happening were, it, it wasn't I said to begin with, it was, I was actually told, right? Oh, hey, I spoke with my sister. We decided that we were going to try to go do this. And now you're put, something was already put in motion conversations were had and something was put in motion and then you have to now come in and put the squash on it and be the asshole who now oh everyone already agreed on it and everyone's already planning on this and now you come in and you're the one who stopped it you know what i mean and i did uh so for example like that happened the first time there was one of these trips Mm -hmm. and it was a weekend trip to canada with her sister then it went to uh a trip with a couple of her girlfriends to this island off of Georgia to go camping. Then it went to a trip, a 10 day trip to Colorado for like a yoga trainer experience. Mm-hmm. You know, then it went to, oh, we're going to go to South Amer- Central America and go do this thing for two weeks with a couple of these friends. And I said, at that point, I was like, no. That's no. not a wife, though, Rich. Like, that's not what a wife does. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Totally. Like, Women with boyfriends or with husbands don't go away for weekends to Vegas or whatever with their mm-hmm. girlfriends. They just don't. Yeah. And if they want to do it, then you just say, okay, fine. I don't date women like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you have to like kind of quash it early on. Like you can't let it get to a marriage, you know, sort of scenario. So if it's like, if you're dating her and she's like, Hey, I'm going to go to my Vegas girlfriend's weekend, you know, quarterly sort of thing. And it's like, okay, well I don't date women like that. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, just as simple as that. And then it's a disqualification. So you don't have to deal with that later on down the road. So you're ending up in a scenario where it's like you're married for a while. And it, like, this is the fourth trip in like three months or something like that, where she's going away with, you know, with her girlfriends. Cause you know, like, I mean, for those of you guys watching, you know that I have a McLaren. If you've watched for a while, I wouldn't park my car in a shitty neighborhood, leave it unlocked and throw the keys in the seat and just walk away from it and hope for the best. It's the same thing with your woman, right? You don't let her get into a scenario where she could potentially uh, betray you, if you yep. know what I'm saying. Like men cheat, women betray, right? Like there's a difference. So that's that's essentially you say that men cheat, women betray. So let me go one more step with this. And that's what happened. 
So they wanted to do the trip to Central America. And I said, no, you guys don't know about leaving the country. Like Mexico's super dangerous. The You guys aren't going, as, especially without having one of us go with you. And they're like, oh, what? You don't think we can do it? Like we're strong, independent women, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I, I get it. But no, you're not going there. You're not going for freaking two weeks down there. Yeah. And I, that's like enough is enough. And I drew the line on it and I squashed it. Yeah. So after that, they they all got really upset with me because I was like, the bad you guys Navy are, now the big bad Navy SEAL who's yeah. the controlling husband, right? So then what happens is she opens up credit cards behind my back and opens up a bank account behind my back and starts planning a month-long trip to Thailand without me knowing. And about two weeks prior to her leaving, she she tells me that uh, that she's going to Thailand for two weeks to go or for a month. Two weeks prior to her leaving, she tells me, and I'm like, well, with with what what, you know what I mean? And oh well, don't worry about it because I I have my own bank account and credit card, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, no, you don't have your own because we're married. So anything that you owe on a credit card, if you don't pay it, I have to pay it. Right. If your bank account gets stolen or your credit card gets stolen in Thailand, guess who they're going to come after? Like, because we're married. That's how that works. You know, and was she was she generating income in the household or was it mostly uh, just a little bit? You know, she's a yoga teacher. So she taught like two or three times a week and she w- would go do some day jobs here and there. <laughs> so it was like the Eddie Murphy stand up. It's like, here, Rich, here's $80 because I want to do my share. Yeah, 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 kind of like that, exactly. <laughs> okay. So at, at that point, you know, the betrayal had come in to where strong she, and independent. Sorry. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, but this is the thing, like little stuff like this. Hey, there's this app or this website where you can go and you can go on and order meals, and they send you a meal with all the ingredients mm-hmm. and the instructions, and it's it shows up at your door. It's on like a block of. You know, ice. block of ice. It's like a chef's plate. You kind of make it following the instructions. You just yeah. make it. She's like, "Hey, I think it would be really cool for us to cook together." Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, you know, maybe that would be a good thing. So we start. Or we do like three dinners together in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and then it's like, "Hey, uh, I got to go teach tonight, but I ordered that home chef, so you can you can fix yourself dinner. There's stuff here, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And she kept dropping this thing, this little quote, where she would say like. I'm not always going to be here to feed you. You got to learn how to cook. You know what I mean? Like you can't always count on me to make your meal. There might be some times where I'm not going to be here that you need to make the meal. Did you forget that you would eat like MREs out of a pouch? Like, you know, you could feed yourself. Yeah, I'll just eat a freaking peanut butter jelly sandwich or a salad or whatever. But do you see what I'm saying? So she knew in her head that she was going to be going and she was setting up for this trip for a month. So she was bringing this food in. Let's do a couple meals together. Hey, why don't you do this on your own? I'm not always going to be here to cook for you. Oh, by the way, I'm leaving for a month. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was at this point, it was kind of like it clicked. And at, like all of a sudden, when she told me that, I kind of rewound all these conversations and things that had transpired. And it was like, if I had said no to, to Mexico for a two-week trip, what in the world makes you think that going to Thailand for a month would be better? And that's where I just said, hey, you're going to do whatever you're going to do, but just understand I'm going to make decisions based on what, what you decide. Did you guys have any kids? No. 
Okay, so I mean, like you got out of that pretty much uh, yeah. scot free with the so exception at of wasting that point, your time. At that point, that's where I'm kind of saying it was like, I'm not going to tell you no because I know you're already doing things to deceive me. And I basically gave the rope. Yeah. I and mean, I said, like, if you're, you're going to go if you're going to go. Because if you don't go, you're going to do something like this again in some other way. Mm -hmm. And so let's see what you do. I'm saying I think this is a bad idea and I would not like you to go. I want you to stay here. I want you to cancel this, cancel those credit cards. Yeah. But I'm going to let you do what you want to do. Have and you read my book yet, Rich? Go, and that's where I was like, all right, fine. That's cool. I'm getting divorced because I, I'm not going to live in a relationship like this because this isn't a this isn't a functional, healthy relationship. Um, no, it's not. It's not conducive at all. Have you read my book? Not yet. So I talk about um, betatization by a thousand concessions. I mean, if you have long drives, grab the audio version. It's 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 like a four and a half hour listen. So I mean, you can rip through it pretty quick. But um. I talk about betatization through a thousand concessions in it. And basically, mm -hmm. you know, like it starts with something simple like, hey, Rich, let's go vegan together or let's go and do this retreat together or put your white socks in a white hamper and your dark socks in a dark hamper. Then it turns into something else. And then it turns into, you know, basically what you ended up with. And it's not like any one thing breaks the camel's back. It's just yeah. a, a sequence of a whole bunch of concessions that you make. You know, then you get married, then you make a whole bunch more concessions. And it's like, you know, you get to the point where it's like, I've, I've got all the responsibility here as the man in the house, as what should be the head of the household as the protector. I mean, fuck your Navy SEALs for crying out loud. Yep. And I have no authority at all. And it's why you really have to early on at the start of the relationship set the frame to who's, who's going to be in whose frame. And she needs to be in your frame, you know, just, just for clarity for those that are wondering. Because that... Because then you never get to the point where she's taking all these trips and I don't need no man and I'm not going to come to you to this, you know, and, and support you, you know, at this gala at Mar-a-Lago and all that stuff. Um, really, really critical um, stuff when it comes to relationships. Let me ask this question. Um, are there any betas in the Navy SEALs? As you would I mean, define alpha versus beta? Yeah, I mean, there might be some, but I like think... Like beta males with women, I'm guessing, but they're alphas in their uh, craft? Yeah, I would say so. And I would say like one of the things that that is, uh, I would say makes guys who are military, military special forces, um, police officers, first responders, firefighters. Uh, when I went through one of these like Christian counseling things, they referred, they referred to this, uh, this isn't my term, but this is what they were referring to it as the broken rescuer. And they find that they that the broken rescuer sees someone who has a problem and they want to come in and be the one to rescue them out of this problem. Mm -hmm. And what happens is a lot of times, and these are the same people who are drawn to go, you know, fight a fight on someone else's behalf or go put their life on the line, you know, to fight crime or to try to save you from bleeding to death in a medical incident. Like people with with that type of personality or or whatnot are drawn to those types of jobs which you are inherently in a position to save someone else yeah. in a dangerous situation you know what i mean and with that you're tough and heroic or brave in the action phase but in the process of trying to save people you find yourself in a position to where you can be easily manipulated gaslit taken advantage of 
uh, by different narcissistic, borderline, cluster B personalities thrive on the broken rescuer. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, you, that's a notion so, that we call Captain Save-A-Ho too. Captain Save-A-Ho. Okay, so I don't necessarily know if they're beta males as far as their daily life. Oh, it's all or, males. So, so just yeah. to categorize it, like you've got the unplugged here at the top. And on one yeah. side, you've got the alphas and then you've got the betas. They're both unplugged. They both see the code in the matrix. They see things for what they are. And then beneath that, there's the plugged in. And you can have plugged in betas, which are the worst to deal with. And you can have plugged in alphas as well. The plugged in alphas are like the natural alphas, right? Like the chads that got all the girls, but they can never keep them around on a long-term basis or they get, you know, run through the cleaners and they never see their kids again in a divorce. So like you can't have both, both categories of those things. You know, the ideal position for a guy to be in is to move over to the unplugged alpha sort of scenario, which is what I titled my book. Um, you know, which deals with all those elements. But yeah, like what they're talking about in that Christian counseling session is essentially what what moves you into the notion of, well, you don't want to play Captain Save-A-Hoe with a woman, right? Because then it ends quite quite badly for guys. That's a different video and a whole different topic. I wanted to yeah. just touch on a few different things as we were talking about this stuff with um, women. But I want to go to your, um, to your business right now because we've only got uh, about another 10 odd minutes left or so. Before we got to wrap, let me just throw this up on the screen because you've got a very, very interesting um, line of work right now that now that you've retired from the military. So this is your Instagram feed and you've got, um, <coughs> excuse me, Rich Graham Navy SEAL and the handle is Full Spectrum Warrior. If you want to look it up, there's a website too. Um, you do a lot of stuff here at your ranch. So most of this stuff here I know is filmed at your ranch because I've been there. Um You've got quite the range. You guys train canines. They're all Belgian Malinois as well still? Uh, Belgian Malinois primarily, but we use Dutch Shepherds, German Shepherds um, primarily. It just depends on what the what the person or the, or the, the receiving party is looking for. Yeah. And um, can you talk about the mobility? So let's deal with a few of these things here like functional fitness because, I mean, you're in great shape as a guy for your age. There's a little video here. Let's see if we can just of you throwing around this back, like you're in great shape for a guy your age, right? Um, how important is functional fitness to you right now? I think it's, to me personally, it's huge. You know, um, I do a lot of stuff with guys on the shooting range, for example, and you might say like, all right, guys, so let's, let's use this vehicle and we're going to use it for cover, get down in the kneeling position or squat or whatever. And you'd be surprised how many people have a hard time getting into the kneeling position or squatting or like, all right, back get the joints, prone, back, back. back up. You know what I mean? So yeah. the fundamental part of anything is my ability to move my own body. Whether we're talking about long distance running and moving my own body over a long distance, over an extended period of time, or me moving a heavy piece of weight. Like my ability to move is my foundation. So I mean, like you don't running. train for the aesthetics <clears throat> of a bodybuilder. You're training for functional movement. No, my, my attitude is this. I'm going to train to be explosively strong and, uh, and have endurance. And whatever my body looks like for doing that, then cool, so be it. Right. But I'm not in it for the looks. I'm in it for the results. Um, right. And, but I mean, like, it just so happens that you actually end up building an aesthetically pleasing body to the opposite sex when you do that regardless. I mean, you end up with basically what I would classify as a swimmer's physique. Yeah. Yeah. For, for real. So, I mean, doing those movements are the movements, you know, um, but doing an isolated shoulder press is going to make my shoulders bigger because I'm isolating the shoulders. 
<clears throat> but that might not transition into, um, you know, boxing or something like that. Because in boxing, we're using multiple muscle groups to throw your arm. A lot of the power is generated from your hips. Mm. So just by having big shoulders doesn't mean that I can punch hard. Right. You know what I mean? So th there's a lot more to the movement of, of the punch than just big shoulders. So, you know, for example, like doing this, most, a lot of people have a hard time doing that, doing the, holding the grip mm -hmm. um, with your hand like this open versus being able to make a fist on a little skinny pull-up bar. So to do that with the coordination um, and, and whatnot, like that's very hard for people to do. And for me, I, it's that my ability to move the body with my equipment on and all that kind of stuff um, and to be able to be strong in, as it relates to fighting is more important to me than just being able to move big heavy weights in an isolated motion, you know, but it's always astonishing to me that I find that even, even guys that are world-class at something like you do, that would typically be like leaders of men 200, 500,000 years ago that women would aspire to be with are discounted today um, in long-term relationships because we've got big daddy state that's capable of taking care of them because they don't need no man sort of thing, right? Like yeah. most guys can't do this. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I look at a lot of guys today where I live and I think to myself, you know what, this dude and probably like, you know, the other 90% of them standing around them probably can't do 30 push-ups, 10 chin-ups and skip rope for two minutes, right? Like they just don't have that capacity. So what you do at your ranch is you basically train guys in self-defense. You, you train them um, with weapons. You train them in hand-to-hand -hand combat. What else do you do there, by the way? Yeah, I mean, the main, the, main the main thing I get hired to do is to teach people how to shoot. That's like mm -hmm. the primary focus. You know, obviously, there's a lot of great personal trainers out there. Uh, I've built that obstacle course that you're seeing. So there's a lot of people who come in to have a run at the obstacle course and you know, you'll see there's a lot of dudes who are really good bodybuilding shape mm. and you come and try to run this obstacle course and they, they can't get through it um, or they're just dying the whole way. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but uh, shooting, functional fitness, we work the dog program with our with our nonprofit for the service dogs. Um, we'll do uh, like orienteering and different like field craft skills. And then we'll do like men's leadership stuff out there, uh, events like the one coming up in February, the Protector Summit. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we have people who a lot of times one of our main thing is I have a cabin out there and we'll just do private training experiences. So if you want to come out with maybe yourself or a few of your friends, we'll just do a private training. It could be one day, it could be a week, whatever you want to do. And you can stay on cabin on site and we can train in whatever area that you want to focus on. And, um, and you're just all inclusive, all, all, you know, engulfed in the, in the training and the experience. Gotcha. And I want to ask you about dogs too, because I've been thinking about getting a dog a lot lately and a, a neighbor of mine, um, you know, recently had their house broken into and it's like, you know, of course they weren't able to deal with it and they don't have a, like a, like a home security system or, you know, when I say home security system, I'm talking about a dog specifically. Most dogs are useless. Like I can't stand these like fluffy white rats that most people get that are like utterly like, you know, former, former versions of the wolves that they were bred from. Yeah. But I mean, like you actually have useful dogs that you guys train. Um, Belgian Malinois, uh, German Shepherds, the dogs that I saw you um, have there, and I didn't know what a Belgian was until I saw it because it, it, it was walking around and it looked real mm -hmm. small compared to other dogs. And I think they're what, like 15, 25% smaller than a German Shepherd? Yeah, I just like 
the American German Shepherds are like 100, 125 pounds. The original yeah. old school like German Shepherds from like Hitler's time and World War One. Like, is that a Belgian there or is that a Shepherd? That's a mix. Okay. <clears throat> yep. But like that dog is about 70 pounds. Like that's what a German Shepherd used to be. Yeah. Size wise. That's a Belgian there, right? Uh, yes. Yep. And That's that, those are from a breeder called Limitless Canine out of like Jacksonville, Florida. Mm -hmm. So he's got a breeding program where his dogs have some mix in between the, the German and the Dutch um, with the Malinois. That's why they're a little bit blockier in their in their build, trying to get kind of the best of both worlds. But, mm -hmm. you know, the German Shepherds are great dogs. They're just not as agile and athletic, especially now with the with the current breeding standards they kind of got screwed up a little bit from the show dog era mm -hmm. um so like if you see a german shepherd with a slanted back where the back hips are hot or lower than the than the shoulders um that's a show line and those dogs start having hip problems at like se six seven years old so although they'll come with all sorts of paperwork and awards and all this stuff i would not recommend anyone getting uh if you want a dog for you know, home protection, not that they can't, it's just you're, the you're losing about four or five years of the lifespan of the dog, um, working service part because of, of the, the hips. Do you, so, do you breed and train them too? We train them. I, I have done a couple breedings, but I typically don't breed them all that much mm. just because I'm so busy on the shooting range that I don't have time to really run a dog kennel personally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so instead of me breeding um and there's been times where i've had people who worked out at the ranch and they ran the kennel so if i do do that i have i have people who are out there running that portion of the property for me um to make sure that the dogs aren't getting neglected um but for me personally i might train one or two dogs a year um and then i have other trainers who we work with who also um help train the dogs so that way we can make sure that the quality is is high is it is it possible for a guy like me in Canada to call somebody down there, for example, like you or somebody that you could refer me to that, that would say, yeah, I got a litter coming up, you know, I can have one trained for you and I can ship it up when it's trained. Like, is that something that that happens or is that like totally out of the question? You've got to train with a dog. That can happen. But I, I always recommend that when you get the dog, I would recommend that you do training with the dog because it would be like this. If you've never been a dog handler and you never worked with a working dog before, then what will happen is just like you were talking about with the, with the women want to be their kid's best friend. Mm -hmm. You get this dog and this is a working dog. This dog wants structure. It wants a job mm -hmm. and you get it. And you're like, I've only had pets before. I want this to be my buddy. And now all that work that was just put in, you're not going to get any of that out of the dog. Can, can, dog a, can a working being, dog be a pet as well? Or is it always a working dog? It can be a pet, but you need to set those boundaries in the beginning. Okay, it's very similar. Like, so because you understand the psychology of the relationship stuff, if you treat that relationship with the working dog the same way and just know that the dog will naturally wants to bond with someone. And if you're its person and you're with it all the time, the dog will love you regardless within a few months. Got it. So once you have that structure and you understand the, the flow of everything, then the dog just fits right into your life. And it's super controlled. It's really obedient, and it can go with you wherever you want. And it's a it's an asset to you, not a liability. Um, but 
if you don't know, it's like me dropping off a helicopter on your front yard. And it's like, yeah, dude, you got this multi-million dollar piece of equipment. It looks really freaking cool in photos. I have no idea how to fly it. Right. And then you bring a pilot and a pilot's like, let me show you how to fly that thing. So you'll get the dog and without any training for yourself, you'll have a pet. And then I would walk in and go, oh, let me show you what your pet actually can do. Mm. Boom, 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 boom. You're like, dude, that was there this entire time. Why didn't it do it for me? Like, that Yeah, it's me. pretty crazy. Like I've, like when I was down there, somebody said to me, hey, you know, do you want to put on the bite suit and mess around with the dogs? I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. We'll let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rich, man, you know, I really appreciate you hopping on and chopping it up with me today on this podcast episode. It's It's been great. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I learned that I had no idea, um, you know, about before we talked. There was, you know, there's just a very um, shallow, like day long sort of interaction that we had before. And I learned so much more having you on today is the best place for people to find you over on your Instagram at full spectrum warrior, or, or do you want to have them go to your website? Like, where do you want people to find you? Yeah. Uh, on Instagram, it's full spectrum warrior USA. There's a little USA there at the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the website is full spectrum warriors.com. So both of those are great. Yeah. If they want to look at our training calendar, we're getting ready to put out the 2022 calendar here within the next week. Um, but yeah, if you want, you can follow us on Instagram. That's cool. Cool. Let me just quickly check the chat here to see if there's anything I missed. Uh, there's a super chat there from a dude that says, Hey, Rich, a bit off topic, but I was researching divorce rates worldwide. And I found that Islamic divorce rates aren't that much different from Western ones. In fact, in some cases, they're higher. So I had uh, Craig on my channel months back. Uh, I think his uh, Twitter handle is Abu American. And if you go back to my um, channel, you'll probably find the video. I think it's actually on this playlist, if I'm not mistaken. He's been divorced 12 times. Um, he's actually oh, wow. ex-military. Um, he's Muslim. But divorce laws in Islam are very different from Western. So if your wife's not working out, you can actually divorce her. And there's very little consequences, you know, as far as any obligations. Usually it's just, you know, if you have kids and you have to deal with that part. Um, but a lot of the... See, I think they're higher in Islam because men don't put up with shit. And I think they're probably higher in the West because women are leaving dudes because women divorce guys something like 80% at a time. So eight out of 10 times women are leaving. It's rare when you hear stories like Rich when he says, you know, I left my wife. I was also the one that left my marriage as well too for different reasons. But it's not that often that men leave their own marriages in the West. So when it happens in Islam, it's my belief that it's guys just saying, you know what, I'm not tolerating this, you're out. Or it's not a good fit. Um Thank you for your service uh, to family members, Navy. Uh, you got a new follow here on your Instagram. Cardio conditions important. Okay, looks like we got all caught up. So give Rich Graham a follow, like the video, leave a comment below. Um, I'm going to be doing more of these uh, playing to win podcasts on the channel. I've got some interesting guests lined up, so I always promise that you know you guys are going to get some value out of it. Rich, thanks again for joining me, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to check out your book. I'm going to get that and uh, review it. Yeah, if you haven't, uh, sorry, I'll I'll just do a a shameless plug. Guys, if you haven't got the book that I was talking about, it's there. It's on Amazon. Grab it. Um, Don't go anywhere just yet. I want to talk to you just offline.